and welcome back to the Square Podcast, your premier source of news, views, and of course, brews. We're all we're all drinking. In fact, I might need a a reload. Oh, you need there. a reload? I got you. Something li- something lighter. Snake's the producer and the uh, the bartender over. Yeah, here. he's the he does it all. You know, we we give him a lot of shit, justifiably so, but every once in a while he comes through with a nice cold brew. So thank you, Ryan. Um, guys, I am excited for our guests a little bit later on. Sally Schaefer, musician extraordinaire of Over and Out, Buffalo Bluegrass All Stars, Creek Bend, McCarthyism. She she kind of does it all. Yeah, she's she's a a she's she's a five tool uh, prospect. Yeah, she's awesome. So we'll be talking with her in a little bit, but. Uh, news news it's news of the week news it's, it's news time baby new it's the mother freaking news we're doing it jim what's the mother freaking news of this week oh man if there's if there's news to be had we've got it and i let's start with our girl especially your girl re india walton certainly my favorite mayoral candidate i have to say mayoral candidate extraordinaire india walton um Got the big DSA bump this week. Oh, yeah. Yes. So India had already been endorsed by the DSA. Um, but DSA-backed legislators specifically came out this week uh, with, a, with a big announcement that included a fundraising push for, for India. So I'm just going to read a little bit of the announcement here. DSA-backed legislators endorse India Walton for Buffalo mayor. The six Albany socialists announced their support for the Buffalo organizer. State Senators Julia Salazar and Jabari Brisport, along with Assembly members Marcella Mitanyas, Emily Gallagher, Zoran Mamdani, and Farah Sufrant Forrest, endorsed India Walton to become Buffalo's next mayor. The six socialists announced their, er, their endorsement alongside a massive fundraising push with the goal of raising $10,000 for the registered nurse in just one week. This is the first joint endorsement from the six Albany socialists in 2021 and demonstrates their commitment to building a statewide movement to fight for New York's working class. So, I mean, if you weren't sure about this being a proxy war against Andrew Cuomo before, I, I, think, uh, I think I've made my case. Yeah, I mean, and this is a BFD, right? Oh yes. Yeah. I mean, this is I mean, getting downstate representatives involved in the Buffalo mayoral race, that's that's a BFD. That that doesn't happen very often. It doesn't happen very often. It feels very much or felt like very much for a long time that in fact we were on the island down here. Um I feel like a lot of the progressive, socialist, left-wing, whatever you really want to call that group uh, kind of left Buffalo to its own devices, and I really don't blame them, considering that we are the city of like Carl Paladino, and you know, just a crazy coterie of ridiculous conservative characters here. Um, but this is an opening for them, you know. Like this is, if you're thinking broadly, if you're look, if you're thinking about this race, and you're hoping that India Walton wins, and that you have a a firm ally and a foothold in, in Western New York awesome if you're thinking hey we want to drum up support for when we have a candidate who's running maybe to primary chuck schumer and we can build a base of support here in in western new york for that sure or even like 
you know, coming up against Andrew Cuomo, we have somebody further to the left and maybe we can make inroads there. Well, even to just to flex their own muscle and to take on the role of kingmaker, right? You know, I mean, there's something to be said that every elected official wants to be able to say that they have influence. And this is their chance to say we have influence outside of our own district. This is a chance for them to to assert their independence and assert their roles as you know, big deal politicians. Certainly. And I mean, there's always that concern. You know, I don't think we've heard this sort of talk in a long time, but also we really haven't had downstate influence here in a long time. But, you know, I I bet if it ramps up, I'm sure the Byron Brown campaign is going to come out with things like, you know, my, my candidate or my, my opponent who has, I don't know, New York city influence or somebody who's not, doesn't have support, a base of support here organically from Western New York. I, I could see if he even if he even counter campaigns at all at this well, point. Well, the way he's been counter campaigning has been to embrace some of her ideas, right? I mean, he started off with like he's he's floating this UBI initiative. Yeah, along and, and then and then shortly thereafter, just this past week, he came out with potentially looking at a municipal broadband for the city of Buffalo. Well, I'd like to hear that. I mean, so he's he's his the way his counter campaigning is the way that counter campaigns usually run when it's primary is the centrist candidate tries to co-opt the ideas of the more reform-minded candidate. He also at this point, not not that I know if these things even matter. I guess it matters insofar as like you're deigning to recognize your opponent as a candidate. But Byron Brown has not agreed to any debates or any you know, one-on-one discussions with, uh, with India Walton. So, you know, we'll, we'll see how that goes, but yeah, you're right. He's, he's co-opted some of the more left leaning progressive ideas of, of her campaign Mm -hmm. in some ways. Uh, but, but that being said, like the, the flip side of that, if you're Byron Brown is (laughs) if you think I don't have to do anything, you really are letting her momentum train start to take off. Correct. I mean, he's he's showing that he thinks he has to do something, and and we'll be you know not next week, but maybe the week after, we'll probably be doing a deep dive into campaign finance again. So, that, spoiler alert for all of you who love that, it'll that's that's probably coming in a couple of weeks. Spoiler alert for all of those of you who hate it. A couple of weeks from now, you can take the week off. Everyone loves it. You love I, it. You all love it. Um, you know, because the 32-day pre-primary campaign finance filing is, is coming up. And we'll get to see how much has the mayor raised, how much has he spent on this campaign. More interesting to me is how much has India Walton raised and how much has she spent on the campaign? Because, you know, she didn't have a lot of money at, at the outset when we, when we last looked in January. Mm-hmm. But when you've got statewide people looking to support you and national organizations supporting you, yeah, there's a chance that she's raising more money than people are think she's raising. I mean, ten thousand in a week tells me that there is some serious money that's being put into this campaign. You know, like we said, I think at last we checked on Byron Brown's campaign finances. He was somewhere in the neighborhood of like a hundred to one hundred and thirty thousand, something like that, maybe a little bit higher. Um, but you know, I mean, yeah, and, and like. Something that Burke brought up when we talked about that, right? Is that like if he was showing up as a rival candidate, we would talk about, oh my God, I can't believe how much money he has. 
We only talk about how little money he has because, like, we're used to him spending a million dollars on a campaign. Uh, I mean, we it, you can see that example in the Republican sheriff's campaign where John Garcia is running a primary against Karen Healy Case, and Garcia has, like, $70,000, and we talk about how he's got so much money because Karen Healy Case only had, like, $15,000. And to that extent... Uh, at my parents' house, uh, they got their first, uh, you know, at least my father is a registered Republican. Um, they got their first Garcia mailer this week. And we talked about Garcia in the past and how he was seemed like he was going for a centrist role. Well, based off of his mailer to a Republican household, not so centrist anymore. Oh, baby. Yeah. Uh-oh. Um, I wouldn't have seen that coming. Yeah, it's, it's a weird. big surprise for a Republican primary that he's no longer centrist. It's all bail reform and Second Amendment. Oh, weird. Yeah, surprise, surprise. Yeah, but just to, just to circle back real quick to India Walton, um, I mean, again, like, we probably are still pretty bearish on on her chances, and even with the DSA leaning a little bit more behind this, um, I still think it's more for tactical reasons beyond her campaign than anything else. But I, I got to say like to her credit, like she has taken what has been a, you know, a grassroots campaign really just like her and her network of, of friends and family members and, you know, supporters and like to turn that national, that's a pretty big deal. It's huge. Yeah. I mean, I will say that like, I'm not, I'm not. I haven't. I'm not completely bullish on her campaign, but I'm more bullish on it was than I was before. I think she's going to turn out a better result than she's given credit for. I think she's going to surprise a lot of people in the Democratic establishment. For sure, for sure, and for whatever it's worth, like even if you know, even if she does lose this race, I I think that you know you can't count her out as a political figure here in Western New York. No, like she's going to be a political force, and I wouldn't be surprised if look. She wins the mayor's race. Holy shit. Like, what a coup. Un, unprecedented, frankly, honestly. like I mean, the, the closest thing to it would be when Grisanti beat Antoine Thompson for state Senate. And that, Senate, that state Senate seat was ranked as the second safest Democratic seat in New York State. And Grisanti won on the Republican line. Antoine Thompson was just like a historically bad candidate at the time. It's not that Grisanti was even a great candidate, but he he raised money and he ran a campaign, but he ran it kind of like, like India's running hers, where it was slightly under the radar. Like nobody really expected Grisanti to win. It was a shock on election day when he won. I remember showing up to the Grisanti election party on election day and mainstream Republican leaders were like floundering to come in the door late because like they, it wasn't on their list of things to do that night was to show up to the Grisanti party was that wasn't even something they considered to think about. Like it was so far down the list of, of the realm of possibility. And now the next thing you know, like they're scrambling to show in the door and it was hilarious to me to watch them walking in and I was, you know, and they see me there and I just laugh. Ha 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 ha. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and even further still, because I think Byron Brown is a, a much, I mean, wh you know, whatever you have to say about about the, the man as, as mayor, but I do think that as a politician, he's much better than Antoine Thompson. Oh, God, yes. You know, by, by many leagues. So this would be just completely unprecedented, out of left field. 
really a massive, massive win. But even if she doesn't win, you know, and that's that is, I think, still at this point a likely scenario. She's going to be somebody who is definitely a major figure here in local politics, um, or could set herself up to be for the foreseeable future, and could easily be elected. Who knows? You know, city council, or maybe even a higher aspiration than that. Right. So you know, we're we're rooting for. Her. I mean. Mm-hmm. God, that's the kind of candidate that I think we've been longing to see. We've said it a bunch on the show, but the momentum is is really starting to pick up. But we'll we'll see where it goes. Uh, in non, well, I'll say non politics news, I guess. But this is more like local stuff happening. That's not good. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't I don't have a good category for this other than this is kind of scary. Um, oh yeah, I, I'm I'm going to read from the investigative post site here. But Buffalo schools still reeling from hack. So if, listener, you're unaware, there was a ransomware hack of the Buffalo school system back in March. Um, Basically, their computer system and computer, their cybersecurity was compromised. It turns out that the actual hack, we're finding out now, is much more severe than what was initially let on. Um, So this is from an article by Lane Dowdle in the Investigative Post. Uh, How bad was the hack of the Buffalo School District's computer system in mid-March? The paper equivalent of lost documents would fill KeyBank Center to the rafters, one source told Investigative Post. The missing records include decades of teaching materials, student records, and some 5,000 applications for for admission to school in September. Systems essential to the operation of the district, such as legal and accounting, are crippled. The hack has caused minimal disruption to classroom instruction and distance learning, but it's impacted the physical operation of school buildings. Automated functions such as operation of heating and cooling systems have been disrupted, mm-hmm. for example. Um, Ryan, you're our, yeah. you're our tech guy. I'm the, I'm the nerd on this podcast. Uh, what, what's up with this, man? Like, Well, I don't know the extent. So we call it a hack, but a hack can mean many things, right? Um, I don't, I'm not sure if any information was compromised or stolen. But when you talk ransomware, it's not that anything's stolen. It's that all the information that the school system had um, is locked up, and, uh, and 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 you won't be given the decryption key unless you pay a certain amount in cryptocurrency or whatever to whoever the you know the uh, the party is who's locking the files. Um, I'm not sure if they they've been given a ransom or they've attempted to pay it, but. Uh, you know, if you don't have a good backup system, which I'm sure the underfunded school system doesn't, all your stuff's basically gone. As, as somebody who's worked for the government on and off for the majority of my professional career for the last 20 years, yeah, well-funded IT is not something that happens there. I mean, no. you, uh, part of it is because, like, I'm going to get in my soapbox here for a little bit, but, you know, people are always like well, we got to cut funding for the government we got to pay the least amount possible sure. right we got to what happens cut taxes and when you cut funds as much as possible yeah. what happens is when shit gets fucking hacked or ransomed yeah. then they're like well we could just back it up with our state of the art lol lol <laughs> lol lol yeah. it people aren't miracle workers and right. if you've got some you know if there's not a campaign to, to inform your employees about ransomware attacks and and opening suspicious emails and bad files then then it's going to happen and and nothing against the the it workers who work in the government sector but when you're offering salaries that start at like forty thousand dollars for it yeah you're not going to get the cream of the crop yeah i mean it's it's 
you're not you're not paying a competitive salary for there, the there's that and, there, and there's probably the workload versus people to actually do what's needed to be done right there's oh there's yeah not the staffing to do it oh there yeah it's, it's it's dramatically understaffed and underpaid right it's it geez it's we might get to why there's worker shortages <laughs> elsewhere but, yeah but um, in other words it looks like it's a ransomware the data's gone which is bad as opposed to your data has been stolen and some nefarious actor has it and it's going to do something with it. Well, right. And I mean, 5,000 applications have been lost too. Yeah. Letters gone out to like parents and stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, like serious. And I think that this school system tried to keep it under wraps for a little while. Right. I mean, I couldn't do that for long. Right. Cause, cause next year, like the attendant, like whoever gets into city honors is just going to be whoever shows up first. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I'll show up first. Right. Yeah. It's I. I would love to have a degree from City Honor, so I'm going to show up. up the <laughs> what's up, fellow kids? Billy Madison. That's, I, do I, that all I, over again. I, I was thinking uh, Steve Buscemi. Oh yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. What's yeah, up, yeah. fellow youths? How do you do, fellow? Well, he was also in Billy Madison. Yes, he yeah. was actually he in was, Billy Madison. Yeah, yeah. he was. Yeah. yeah, it's it's ridiculous, and I just feel so bad for these kids and their parents. You know. Fuck, man, like a year of doing the Zoom learning and you're finally trying to get restored back to normal life. And it's like, well, just kidding. Now you don't know if you're actually getting into the school that you want. Mm-hmm. Um, it's bad. It's real bad. It's it's pretty bad. I mean, uh, the article here also says there's some concerns about identity theft, personal information. So another consequence of the hack. Okay. Personal information might have been exposed, which could be used in identity theft schemes. So this quote, this is a lot of personal private information that we don't know if it has been accessed or who has access to it, Ms. Tretta said. Um, one teacher told Investigative Post, quote, we were told, oh, your personal information is fine. Now we're hearing rumors that no, that's not the case. Um, Jeez. The teacher went on to say that personal information of one of her colleagues was used by someone else for unemployment. She said she's heard similar stories of other teachers as well. Yeah, but that's hearsay at this point. Did it come from the hack or not? I've heard stories of that aside from being related. I mean, maybe it did. Maybe the right. information was compromised. I mean, well, here's how, like, if you're a, a hacker, you're going to make the most money off of this. Isn't, like, a filing for unemployment off of, like, a underpaid teacher's salary? Right. It is these... 17 or 18 year olds high school seniors who are going to be eligible for student loans yeah and you're going to be able to say like yes i'd like to apply for a two hundred fifty thousand dollars student loan enter this person's name and ruin their lives forever and just cash in yeah but, but i mean other than that i mean it's not a big deal not a big deal right i fuck you know look the other way there's no big deal Nothing to see here. Oh, my God. Look at this car crash. Everyone. This, this same <laughs> thing happened to, what is it, ECMC a few years ago, mm-hmm. ransomware attack. It could happen anywhere. Right. It could happen to the best, most secure network in the world. Right. Isn't that what happened with the uh, the oil pipeline that caused think, a gas shortage? I guess so. That yeah. mean, was it was it a ransomware attack? It was a know. ransomware attack, and they yeah. had to pay like a $5 million ransom to, to uh-huh. get their oil pipeline running again. There you go. Yeah. All it takes is one person clicking a file. That's it. That's uh, they. they uh, if I remember correctly from reading the stories about the uh, the gas pipeline shutdown, is they paid five million dollars to get the debugger to get the, uh, to run. And, and I bet it was worth it. Otherwise, otherwise they wouldn't have paid it. Oh yeah, I'm sure it was worth it. Yeah. To, when it, it shut down gas uh, uh, fuel uh, services from like 
Shreveport, Louisiana, all the way up to like DC. I got my trash bags full of gas in the garage. Right, yeah. I've been filling up I've been filling up cans full of gas, like coffee cans full of gas yeah. for years waiting for this moment. Yeah. Finally time to cash in. I'm sure it's all still good too. Yeah, it's it's, it's that's my Doja coin. <laughs> gas coin? Gas coin. The old yeah. gas coin. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm sure it's all perfect. It's I've been keeping it in a, in a, in a hermetically sealed room. Oh, beautiful. You're I've, doing it right. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. The internet was a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> You're absolutely right. It's, the internet sucks. We it's fucked right, up. Yeah, we fucked up. Right. <laughs> Al Gore, you fucked up bad. Jesus. You fucked up, Al. Well, you know, we... Uh, I mean, we, we have no good segues this week. I, I'm going to level with you. You know, there's just... There's no way... To connect, there, yeah, there's no way to connect like uh, a huge compromising of of public information and intelligence uh, of very important matters with Cole Beasley coming out and saying he's against the vaccines. There's no way to conflate. You can't you can't connect those because but he didn't say he was against the vaccines. Oh, did he? Excuse, excuse Let's me. Let's clear the air here, Jim. Are, are we gonna are we gonna are we gonna clear Cole Beasley's good name? Buffalo Bills wide receiver Cole Beasley and rap star. What well, and rap star Cole Beasley? Uh, no, when he, he said like the CDC said you don't have to wear masks inside anymore. Yeah, if you've been vaccinated, and he responded with like, "Well, what if I've been doing that all along? Is is, is that illegal now?" So it's not like he's a vaccine denier. He's just as a more of a mask denier. Okay. He's keeping an open mind about he, this. He, he did say, he did tweet out that I'm not a scientist, so I don't know what's correct. No, he's not a scientist. So who gives a shit? No. We're talking about meat, Josh Allen, Cole Beasley. They're meatheads. Right. Who yes. gives a shit? Well, they're public figure meatheads. Yeah. That's the big thing. They're multimillionaire meatheads who are, for better or worse, have a massive platform. Mm-hmm. Not as big as our platform. Not as big as our platform. Not as important as our platform. Right. They might have a bigger platform. We have a more important platform. Mm-hmm. All right? Yeah, we're the only meatheads you should listen to. Right, yes. yeah. Right, because yeah, we're all scientists. Yes, we yes. are scientists. I am. I do have my, my MD from, Col- I'm, I'm going to steal a community joke, from Columbia University, like Jeff Winger. Beautiful. Yeah. You're smart. Thanks, man. Yeah. Yeah, I, I paid, I, I bought it online. Right, that's, internet was a mistake. Yeah, internet was oh, internet was a mistake. Uh, we're we're all PhD MDs. Yes, uh, we are scientists, just like Guided by Voices said. Yes. No, Cole, I've, I've got mine in mixology. <laughs> Cole Beasley, like, I don't know. I, well, you're right, Ryan. I I think that we should not be looking to these guys as public figures for anything other than hey, you're good at football. But that's not the reality of the situation. You know, like, there's a reason. Wait, well, who's who's looking at Cole Beasley's Twitter handle and being like, well, I wasn't sure about the vaccine or wearing a mask. Well, I, I, I don't know. What, what did Cole Beasley, because these guys went to college, right? What did Cole Beasley study in college? Maybe he was an epidemiologist. Who the shit knows? Let me, well, let's look it up. You guys keep talking. I'll look right. It up. I, you know, I, I assume he wasn't. It was probably communications. Here's the thing for me is that I think we are at a crucial point of normalizing this. Like we can normalize vaccines. We can normalize proper behaviors that we can depoliticize it. And then it just becomes a thing that you do to live your life. It doesn't become a culture war issue. It just becomes like a, okay, you know, I need to, I don't want to get sick. Um, I want to go to bills games. I want to go to, 
Blue Jays games. So that's something that I need to do to resume normal function in my life. So I will get the vaccine. Things like Cole Beasley coming out and saying things like this, while not a, an egregious sin, still does uh, take us back to more of the culture war issue. And I think that's, you know, we're still at a very tenuous time in our society where we're so close to things getting much better. We're not quite there yet. And there's still a lot of people who get sick and are, are dying from COVID. Like the pandemic isn't over, but we're getting closer to it. And I think this kind of thing takes us in the wrong direction. We're getting close to it in this country. Sure. Yeah. Right. Oh, I mean, yeah. Cole Beasley has a degree in sports and health sciences. Uh, health. <laughs> health sciences. Health. He's All essentially right. a doctor. All right. So, you know, maybe his, maybe he does have some weight in his opinion. Who knows? What school did he go to? Cole Beasley. Uh, let, oh, shit. Let's see. It is. I don't remember what school Cole Beasley went to. That's, I mean, and. and uh, so, was it Southern Mes Methodist University? Oh, SMU. Yeah. SMU, the, okay. the Mustangs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, SMU, the Southern Methodist. So, I mean, they have the premier scientists there at, at Southern Methodist University. So, there are some, there are some intelligent football players we always hear about ryan fitzpatrick what's right. his opinion right uh, he's so smart what's what's fitz is pet richard what's sherman he's he's like one of the smarter ones right right there's Aaron the rogers he Aaron hosted Ro yeah he hosted jeopardy that's he hosted, right I mean, he hosted jeopardy he also went to cal hey yeah. yeah i mean berkeley's a legit and, school and wasn't there their, that punter who was like really smart and would write chris cluey Cl yeah that guy yeah right yeah 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 yeah, he, I, he's I, one of the smart ones. I yeah. wonder what his opinion is. I, on I, I read uh, one or two of his books, Chris Cluey. Oh, he wrote books. He yeah, wrote he's, a couple he's books. written books. Yeah. Wow, yeah. about what? Uh, just uh, essays hmm. about different topics. Wow. Yeah, Dude, Chris Ren Cluey. regular Renaissance man. Yeah, it's Chris Cluey. Chris Cluey. <laughs> uh, he was. He got actually after he got cut by the Vikings. He got a trial here in Buffalo, and Buffalo Twitter went nuts. Was like, yes, Chris Cluey. Like that would be amazing to have him here. And the Bills were like. Nah. Too smart. Too, yeah, too smart. <laughs> Blackballed from the league for being too smart. <laughs> yeah, basically. Ryan Fitzpatrick, I guess, wasn't, but Chris Cluey was. Well, well Chris Cluey well, was. After a, a while, little, he Chris was. Chris Cluey was awfully outspoken on stuff like Black Lives Matter yeah. and uh, well, Colin Kaepernick. Kaepernick. He's another smart one. I forgot. Uh, Let's Colin, mention him. Kaepernick is yeah, very smart. Yeah. yeah. Even if he went to University of Nevada. That's <laughs> true. All right. True. I mean, I, look, every school has their all stars. Sure. I'm not Bonaventures. <laughs> Valid point. Yeah, yeah. We uh, there's a gym reference. He went to Bonaventure, folks. Mm -hmm. um, in case you didn't know. In case you didn't know. Right. Yeah. No, and the reason. So the reason that I I mentioned Cole Beasley is like a public figure. You know that it's that it's unfortunate that he's. Um, I, I don't want to say not supporting. I don't know. It's just being a bit contrarian about this. Is I, I there? There are still like it's still a hot button issue. Um, there's still people who have well i don't even know how to describe this other than like insane culture war things what what's up with this this homicide guys i i only glanced at the article mm. they sent me but it, it involves somebody not wearing a mask or uh, it oh, yeah. involved uh, uh his name is jeff lewinsky uh, real big asshole i've actually met him several times <laughs> his family used to own the morella oh. grill in, in morella no shit uh which had amazing sandwiches and was probably Best known for having no cell service because they had the legit old tin roof in there. Wow. So as soon as you went inside the building, you got no cell service whatsoever. But he was at, he's from West Seneca. He was at a bar in, I think, West Seneca. Um, and somebody was wearing a mask and was like giving him shit about not wearing a mask. 
some like 80 year old man was wearing a mask mm-hmm. and was giving this guy shit about not wearing a mask so he pushed him and knocked him over and he killed him so sort of like martin gugino except he didn't martin gugino didn't die and whereas martin gugino was pushed by the police so it was boys will be boys no harm no fall uh what a way to go though if you're 80 do you imagine yourself going that way yeah yes <laughs> In a bar fight? Yeah, yeah. It's I, I've I've always imagined myself being pushed over by a Lewinsky, uh, not if, just anybody. I mean, there there are better things to bar fight about, though. Right, well, I mean, not to disrespect the man, but right. But I mean, the the adhering to rules during a pandemic is yeah. is up there on my list of things I a hill I die on. Yeah. Hey, my eighty year old grandfather mostly lived through a pandemic, except he got pushed over by some asshole oh, in a bar. It's tragic. Hmm. Because this asshole was so threatened by it. And now he's facing like up to five years of jail for homicide. Yeah. yeah. There's, again, this isn't Cole Beasley's fault. This isn't, you know. What? I, you know I blame, I blame Jim, Jim's explicitly gonna, Cole Beasley for this. Jim's going to blame explicitly Cole Beasley for this. It's not his. I'm going to boo him every time yeah, he catches the ball. It's Cole Beasley's fault. You killed that 80-year-old man, Cole Beasley. Right, yeah. I'm just saying that, you know, we, we need to depoliticize this and and bring the temperature down and and just is is this the same area in the brain that lights up when you got road rage it has to be it has to it has be, to be. It, it, yeah it must be it's so so just remember when you have road rage you're capable of this too yep check yourself yep. check yourself for listeners right and and in the vein of I, i'm glad that my road rage takes the form of just yelling at people yes i mean I might yell horrible things, and I do yell horrible, horrible things at people when I get mad at them when I'm driving. Yeah. Although not as much anymore since I'm on medication. Great. Yeah. Now, now that I'm medicated, I don't yell at people nearly as much as I used to. Uh, That's a good thing. Yeah. No, it's, it's a good thing for both me, and, the, and it's, it's a sign that the medication's working. But I used to yell horrible, horrible things at people, like, I hope you get into a car accident while your children are in the backseat. Oh, oh, Wow. Because, wow. you know, I was angry. I, at no point did I ever, like, ram somebody else's car or get out of my car they, and, like, threaten them. And if that, did, if that did happen, you could always blame it on Cole Beasley. Right, yeah, it was always Cole Beasley's You always fault. have an out. Right, I, I was like, well, yeah. it's not my fault, it's SMU's. It's, it is, as, I, as, as with most things, I blame SMU. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the, in the vein of bringing down the temperature, so to speak, on this, um, it, things like the shot and chaser program here in erie county doing pretty good doing pretty good we talked about this last week i believe Mm -hmm. big news folks people around here like to drink yeah and we'll do almost anything for a a beer right yeah including including getting the vaccine and then driving home (laughs) yes yes and in fact i know i believe flying bison has also come out that they're Flying Bison has come out not just that they're they're involved with the shot and a chaser, but also that they're doing happy hours starting in June. And if you show up and that you you've already been vaccinated, that they're offering some sort of discount for you to as like thanks for like thanks for doing thanks for not having to be bribed. Flying Bison is such a staple of the community. Flying Bison it, it, going way back. They've always been great. Yeah, yeah Tim is the man. Yeah, Tim. Tim the Herzog Su- family support just, him. Just. Just great support flying bison. Um, I, I I really enjoy a lot of their beers. Oh yeah, I semi enjoy some of their beers, mm-hmm. but I really enjoy a lot of the, what the, they're they're doing there. Trusty Rusty baby, the Rusty chain is just mm, mm-hmm. chef's kiss. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, um, yeah. So the Buffalo Aloha is also very good right now yes. that they've got out. Yeah, 
Yeah, no, I mean, that's great. Just like stuff like that, where we're leading it towards a public, like it is a public health crisis that we're all working towards together Mm -hmm. and not this huge polarized political statement. Right. You know what else is a public health crisis? Alcoholism. But I mean, we'll get to that one later. But (laughs) vaccination wise, we're doing pretty good in the state. 62%. Yeah. One, one, one shot. I think it's like 52, 53%. Uh, fully vaccinated. Yeah, we're doing and, all right. And, and like I know, like rates are know, dropping. Um, for like my nephews, I've got a 23 year old nephew. He's got his first shot. He's got a second shot in a couple of weeks. I've got a 13 year old nephew. Uh, I think Thursday he gets his first shot. Great. You know, so uh, you know, uh, pretty soon the we can have a Tamil family reunion. We can get all of the, all, right. all the stars are here. Right. Yes. So that's exciting. I mean, again, you know, we're we're moving forward. Um, with that, and I think we're doing a pretty good job here, here in your county. So Cole Beasley, do better. You know, the Cole Beasleys of the world do better. Be, right. be a little bit smarter. Be a little bit more understanding your platform, and and help get us to uh, a better place. Right. We're, we're not we're, asking yeah. you to be Chris Cluey. We're just meatheads unite. Right. Under this one cause. Right. We're right. we're uh, we're not asking you calling just, all meatheads. We're just asking you to be better than baseball players. Yes. Easy to do. Yes. And speaking of baseball players, while we're in the. Uh, the wide world of sports. Mm-hmm. So dear listener, you know, we apologize. They, uh, it's, it's, you know, they, they changed the rules on us, right? They, they, uh, they, we got sandbagged. We figured out the game and they changed the rules. Yep. All right. So the blue Jays tickets were not on sale last week. Nope. They moved them and now they're on sale this week, this week, this week. They, they moved them a Later full week, week, uh, for the safety of everybody involved, especially Cole Beasley. Yes. <laughs> Yes. So you get to see your Yankees, your Astros, your Marlins, uh, the big Marlins contingent here in Western New York. Right. That everybody who loves the Miami Marlins. I mean, it's it's probably just people who love Derek Jeter because he owns the Marlins now. Yeah. Sure. Sure. He'll be there. He'll definitely be there in person. If there's anything that they, Derek Jeter has on his schedule, it's going to Buffalo in summer. As, and as Jim will agree, the greatest short shortstop of all time. Yeah, I, yeah, with without reservation, especially defensively, the greatest shortstop Absolutely. of all time. Un, undeniable <laughs> in, in most circles. So You know, speaking of smart MLB people or how dumb they are, I remember Steve Garvey. You don't remember Steve Garvey? Mm-hmm. He was on Wheel of Fortune. I remember I was watching as a teenager, and 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 like I was just crushing him at Wheel of Fortune. I, he's, I, he's one of the dumbest guys I think I've ever seen on TV. I mean, baseball is full of the dumbest guys. Oh my god, baseball is full of uh, terribly because, dumb. Because like, unlike like basketball or or football, where like you have to go to college for at least a year or two, or hockey, which is a wealthy sport which means that generally you have higher educational achievement levels because you're coming from a wealthy family. Baseball doesn't have any of that. And baseball is just full of the dumbest fucking people on earth. You got like Brandon McCarthy, who is smart. And then just a bunch of idiots playing baseball. I I feel like Drew McGarry and David Roth here, just remembering some guys from baseball. (laughs) (laughs) So... (laughs) So, so, so yes, yeah. We we remembered some guys. Remember, we remember more guys. Maybe we'll make that a. a, a no, we're not going to make that. that that's we're going to steal their defectors bit. Well, that's right. another subset of Twitter is dumb baseball players, right? What is there? Kurt Schilling. There's a uh, who's that other guy? There's I, there's I don't a know because there's because I, I follow mostly smart baseball guys. Oh, is that like right? I, I follow like Brian McCarthy, Pedro Martinez, the guy on the Angels back in the day. Oh, Harold Reynolds. Maybe. 
Harold Reynolds was an angel and a Seattle Mariner, and he is dumber than dog shit. Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of somebody who would be dumber than dog shit if they stayed in Buffalo, uh, let's talk about, you know, our boy Jack Eichel. He's not going anywhere. Um, He's not going anywhere. um, If you read Canadian hockey media, Canadian mm -hmm. hockey Twitter, he is untradeable right now. Because every single offseason, he's bitched about the, the Sabres management, and no team wants to put up with that. He's a good player, but he's not Connor McDavid. He is, he, whether Jack Eichel wants to be in Buffalo next year or not, he's going to be in Buffalo. He'll be in Buffalo. Well, this is. He, a, if the GM is worth any shit, he's not. He, he's not going <laughs> Next he's question. Not, okay. Next question. Well, let me ask you this. Are the Sabres better or worse than Jack Eichel? Oh, they're definitely better. They're, better. With right. they're definitely better. Absolutely. With I mean, you know, he's probably one of the top 15 players in the league. They're definitely better with him. I mean, I guess I guess the question is, like, what do they get back in the trade? Yeah. If somehow, like, like if they're able to, like, roofie, like, the uh, Oilers general manager and get Connor McDavid back... Mm-hmm. Well, then they're better without him because they got Connor McDavid, and he's the best player in the league that's not named Cindy Crosby. You know, the Buffalo culture war that runs hotter even than the blue cheese versus ranch one is, of course, the the tank or the not to tank. And, you know, I, I occasionally enjoy just lording over how superior I feel thinking that the tank was the fucking stupidest thing I've ever experienced in my life, and well, I'm I, still mad about it. But I agree with Jim. He, I think we mentioned this before, GMTM. We should have let let that shit play out. Wait, we should have let GMTM give a chance. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. That's that's my take on yeah. watching my team lose. Mm-hmm. Request denied. Yes, request request denied. <laughs> by, by the way, the dumb baseball player I was thinking of was Aubrey Huff. Oh, oh, yeah. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He is, he is yeah, he's pretty dumb. Uh, look, again, we're not the sports podcast, but people are talking about Jack Eichel. Of course, how could you not be? He's probably not going anywhere because, you know, he's got a big contract. The Sabres don't have to move him. And, frankly, they have the leverage right now. But, man, it's just it's frustrating to just have, you know, this garbage fire franchise just continue to completely wear away. Like At this point, honestly, if the Sabres left Buffalo, would you guys... I, you'd be, I would be devastated. Oh, it would suck. It would suck ass. I, I, I would be devastated. And here's the other thing is, though, they're never leaving Buffalo because Buffalo is one of the top, like, four markets in the United States for hockey. Even even when the Sabres don't make the playoffs, Buffalo market is one of the top four markets for watching playoffs and uh, hockey playoffs. They're never leaving Buffalo. It's, it's one of those things where, like, the market is just too good of a hockey market. Well, they might not be if the Sabres are fucking trash. You know, honestly, like... Did you not hear what I just said I heard, about how they I continue you, to... People continue to watch you. hockey all the time anyways. I, I heard you, but I'm just saying, like, there's got to be a long-term effect if the Sabres are continuing to be trash for the foreseeable future. But who knows? I'll leave it to the sports guys to figure that out. I'm just a you know, news and culture That's right. it. wonk, okay? I, I, uh, I just, you know, maybe we should get Cole Beasley to take a look at Jack Eichel's neck. Ooh. Oh, yeah. I mean, he did study sports medicine. That's right. Medicine. Maybe he'd know a little something about this. Right. Let me let me text him right now. Get a third opinion. <laughs> do, okay. do, 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 Cole Beasley, please take a look at Jack Eichel's neck. Yes. All right. Let me know what he says. All right. Yes. Um, speaking of workers who are, you know, not happy with their situation. Let's, let's put it that way. Guys, I've heard... There's a little bit of a 
worker shortage and indefinitely in, in the, the food industry, food service industry. Worker shortage. That's that's what they keep telling us. People, you know? So the Buffalo News uh, is telling me that people don't want to work. They're lazy. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. No, they can't. They can't find people. You know, they can't find workers. It's they 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 go out there and they can't they can't hire them. They're you know these these businesses are hurting because these these damn greedy employees don't want to work. I think I saw a stat that the restaurant industry is doing like better than ever right now. They saw a big bump in the past few months in terms of income. You think you think maybe really they they'd be able to use that for. I don't know, wage increases? Try to lure some would-be workers to their staff? Well, as friend of the pod Rob Galbraith notes here, uh, there are tens of thousands of unemployed people in Buffalo, but the Buffalo News could not track down a single one (laughs) to interview in their retread of the worker shortage pieces we're seeing so many of. No shortage of whining bosses, though. So... Is this actually a thing? No, it's happening. It, no, what it is is like. What's crazy is like before pandemic happened, right? And uh-huh. people were saying that like, oh well, restaurant workers are demanding higher wages, and people said, well, if they want better wages, find other jobs. Yeah. So they did. <laughs> yeah. And now restaurants are like, nobody will work for our terrible wages, and we're like, well, maybe it's because they found other jobs. Well, how many fucking people died during the pandemic? Also note that probably like, you know, the, the statistics st- stats show. Sorry. I, I think I drank a little too much to pronounce statistics properly on this podcast. <laughs> Apologize. But, um, you know, uh, the official stats are five to six thousand, a hundred thousand dead. But it's more like a million. It's a million people gone. Yep. It's the population of Erie County gone in the United States. Well, right. And a lot of them were in the food service industry because they yep. had to work through the pandemic. Right. Right. And it's just amazing that these people, that these that these um, these restaurant owners are just you know crying that they can't afford to hire anybody, but they still think that they can continue to pay starvation wages. Right, and you're expecting people to go into you know like go back into a shit environment with bad pay, and you know you watched a whole bunch of people die because they don't care about you even the, in the middle of a pandemic. Right. right. Well, that's the thing is like not only paying shit wages, but they're putting you at risk. And you're like, wait a second, for a little bit more money. I can work remotely? Yeah. Oh, well, geez. So a lot of people probably reassessed their finances. You know, I think maybe some families were paying for childcare and taking on second or third jobs. And they were like, well, why am I, why am I doing this? That has, I think that has an impact on the, mm-hmm. uh, the, the employment pool there. A lot of other factors. Right. It's, it's not, we're, it's we're not probably be- not seeing. It's not because unemployment is too luxurious and people are like, no. wow, now that I'm making $300 a month, or $300 a week, I can bathe in caviar, right? Right. It's not that. That's nonsense. Still think about $300 a week in unemployment benefits is still not a lot of fucking money. No. You're still talking about $15,000 a year. So It's enough to get by. So when you say Maybe. they're making too much money on unemployment for my job, what you're saying is, I was paying starvation wages, and they're making maybe not totally starvation wages now. Well, geez, why aren't they coming in droves to take this job? Right. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah, what do you say? It's 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 just so ridiculous on its face. And I mean... I think I, it's an intentional I, campaign. I, I, oh, 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 of course it is. Look, I'm currently unemployed. I'm 
applying weekly for seven to 10 jobs. I'm not getting thrown job offers because there's a worker shortage, but I'm also applying for jobs that are paying like 50 to 60 grand a year. Mm -hmm. For some reason, there's plenty of workers at that rate. Well, Jim, I'll I'll tell you what, if, if you knew some guys, okay, if you knew, if you knew some guys who could maybe talk a little uh, business sense Mm. into some of your potential employers, you know, make them a deal or maybe make them an offer. That they think about, in fact, they have to think about. In fact, you can make them an offer they couldn't refuse. Mm. Okay. All right. And now, Ryan, some people have been talking about organized crime. Yes. Of which type? I, I, you know, there's a lot of crime could be organized by anybody. Okay. It but could who be, specifically? There's a lot of different communities. Okay. There's a lot of different organized crime. Now, some people have said, Italian organized crime. Oh, I don't know nothing about that. No, neither uh, do I. Me? No. I, 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 me, I, you know, I have no idea why Jacoby's and Kenmore is still operating. <laughs> I, I have no idea, but but some people have been asking uh, the question of Italian organized crime. How, how, what, what's going on here? I know we had that big story about mob activity in Buffalo uh, a couple months ago. We talked about. This it, is a recent uh, hot topic issue again. It's brought its it's it's, it's reared its uh, it, its Italian head back again. Not ugly head because Italians are beautiful. They're beautiful, Be- beautiful people. My wife's Italian. She's one of the beautiful people. Right. Reared its head again. About the same story we talked about about the DEA agent taking bribes from the exotic dancing studios or yeah. whatever you want to talk about. It. Yeah. In the court papers, in the papers that the federal government filed, they refer to it as Italian organized crime. Why do you think they did that, Jim? Well, see, the the attorneys who are for the defendants are they have a theory is that by calling it Italian organized crime without using any RICO, they at no point do they invoke any RICO stuff. Yeah, right, which is supposed to be there for battling organized crime. Right. Their theory as a defense attorneys is that they can try to make it seem like these guys are the fucking Sopranos or any famous Italian mobster family. It sounds mob like it's just a podunk coke operation, right? It does sound like that, really. It sounds, sounds like it was you just like the, or, the, the term organized loosely. It sounds like it was a couple of dudes who one or two of them happened to be Italian. Yeah. And to say that they were organized, well, they weren't so organized that they didn't get caught. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, This isn't, you know, like a Goodfellas situation or something. It sounds like... I wish it was. That'd be so interesting to read in the paper. Right, yeah. I would be, I would be so much more interested in, like, an actual mafioso, like, you know, th- bribing a DEA agent. Beautiful. Like, breaking into Sinatra's to catch the guy. Right. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, like... The, the idea that, like, we could have a sweet movie written about Buffalo. Oh, I'd love it. That'd be great. But there's nobody going to write a movie about two dudes making a drug deal. I think they'd, for that movie, I think they the lead would be Chris Hemsworth, right? Typical Buffalo guy build. T- yeah, typical Chris, that's Buffalo what, that's what we all look guy like build. Yeah. Chris, Chris, Chris Hemsworth. I would, love to, I would love to hear him try and, to do a Buffalo accent, though. I would. <laughs> and, and DEA agent Ray Liotta. Sounds great. Chris Hemsworth, if you're listening to the pod, we would love to have you on to talk about your future movie yeah. about the Italian organized crime community. Here Give us a call. But but you have to be on in your Buffalo accent the entire time. Yeah. And if you say you like ranch over blue cheese, we're going to cancel you. You know what I don't you want? Canceled. 
I don't want a CGI'd up Robert De Niro. The I actor, do. I the, do. The actor, not the gym owner. No, I, I want. I want. I want both. both. I want <laughs> both. I want both of them in the in the episode. And not that. And not the Robert De Niro impersonator on those like HVAC commercials. I want him too. Oh, okay. That would I, that would be crazy. To have I want every De Niro I can get. All right. Ah, mucho de Niro. Mucho, mucho de Niro. Yeah. So, uh, organized crime. Uh, you know, not gonna not gonna talk about it. Right. Uh, it's, uh, as far as we can tell, not my business. Everything's okay here. Everything's cool. Everything's here. fine. Okay. Right. Yeah. Official square stance. Capi- hey. Capiche. Capiche. Look the other way. Right. Yeah. What are you looking at? I'm walking here. Nothing. Nothing. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Uh, official square stance, friends of the Italians. Absolutely friends of the Italians. I, I don't think we have much else this week except, oh, I guess there's the, the dipshit landlord, Jim. Oh, yeah, we do have dipshit landlord. What's, so there was a Lancaster landlord who spray painted on his tenants, or the roof of his, his house. Roof of his house and on a piece of plywood up against the house of another house he owned. So the tenant was had owed back rent uh, because of the pandemic. Yes, the tenant was not paying because they're they were covered by the rent moratorium. Right. In both cases, the the uh, both both the house that he spray painted the roof of, and the plywood up against the house that he painted, where he painted their names and how much money he said that they owed him. Cool. Yeah. Cool, cool, and extremely legal, right? Yeah, like I'm not sure how what they sue him for, but I hope they own the homes afterwards. Please, yeah, fucking asshole. So that's all we have for news of the week. Uh, but before what, we, what about the trelf? Well, I was just about to say before we wrap up, though, okay. um, I would be remiss if we did not mention the trelf closing. Um, this is a huge deal, honestly. As look, we're having a musician on the show today and you know if you couldn't tell based on uh, the name of our podcast being based on the old thursday at the square we love music part of the reason i think that living in buffalo quite frankly is tolerable you know i this this city this region this stupid place can be so frustrating and immiserating at times but one of the things that really makes it redeemable and enjoyable to live here is access to incredible music acts local music Bands that we get from across the country, which, quite frankly, for a city of our caliber, you know, are, are probably way out kicking our coverage on. Right. I mean, and, and, and one of the things that we, we really luck out on is that, like, we get all these great Canadian bands here, right? Yes. Um, we're one of the few American cities that plays into Canadian music. And we tremendously luck out by being so close to Toronto, both on our American international bands, but especially the Canadian bands and, and playing music here. And I've seen numerous Canadian bands that, you know, might not have had the reach in the United States that they've had, that they should have had play at the Trelf. True. The Trelf, just such a great place. So intimate setting, you know, comedy, music, it was a great place. And, and actually considered out of all the music venues in Buffalo, the best acoustic the Sounding acoustics place. were fantastic there. And Beautiful. upstairs from Susan New York Deli, which has yes. tremendous miso dressing. Yeah. But guess what? Their landlord decided uh, that they want to turn it all into residential space. Mm-hmm. Despite the history of the trial, its popularity. Great. 
Fucking wonderful. Another another landlord bullshit story. Yep. Yeah. And it's You just, know, I'm gonna write on the roof of the trough. I'm gonna <laughs> spray paint something <laughs> to the landlord of that fucking place. That's I I was gonna write on your roof, but uh we got off of it too early. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just like I know things change. I know eventually everything closes, we all die. But I think that quite frankly, like it's too soon for the trough. I think that it's a loss. It is a huge loss, and I think it's going to have shit about it. Yeah, I'm really upset about it. I'm really not happy about it. Right. I'm going to kick a rock and say rats. Yeah. Yeah. And especially to the idea that we can replace something like that, a cultural pillar of the community with fucking residential housing. Like, we're just going to rush in to cash in in this place. All these developers are going to try to make a quick buck on this trend, and it's all going to look like dog shit because... Everything that I've seen of all these residential housing designs all look terrible. And well, now, I do. I will say that, like, so the, the trough is closing, but planning on reopening. Okay. They're planning on reopening in the, like, the Genesee, Michigan spot there. Uh, Legacy development, Frank Shinichi's uh, development. Now, Frank uh, used to own, actually, shit, what was it called? It was 2112 Franklin. It was uh, the, the, the goth bar. Oh, oh yeah no no i remember this i can't remember the name of it but yes i remember jim um you need a second to look it up yeah i, I do i can edit this out uh, edit edit this out what leave it in yeah don't leave <laughs> the leave in all this the continental the continental frank used to own the continental um and he's been a long time uh, legacy development Obviously, he's a developer. He's out there to make money, but he has been a longtime proponent of local music and and organizations and and music venues. And um, so, Frank Nietzsche and Legacy Development going to be the new home of the new Trelph somewhere in that Genesee corridor. Okay, I hope so. So, yeah. I mean, there is some positive news that like the Trelph's going to going to exist again in some sort of venue, but just not as it is. And will it be the same? Of course not. But I mean, maybe it'll be better. Who knows? Yeah. We're rooting him. We're rooting for him to be bigger and better than ever. So thanks to the trial at that location for so many good years and so many awesome acts. And if they come back better than ever, then Hey, we're here to support them. Yep. So I think uh, we're on to our our next section of the show, guys, uh, where we speak again with Sally Schaefer of Over and Out, the Buffalo Bluegrass All-Stars, Creek Bend. McCarthyism. McCarthyism. She does it all. All the good ones. Yeah, she plays a ton of bands. Um, So give it a listen, and thanks again for listening to the square. Yep.
Square, hanging out with our very special guest, extremely talented musician of a, a, a very diverse musical background, but specifically um, your, your, I don't want to say your big band, Sally, but your, your band that I associate you most with, the Buffalo Bluegrass All-Stars, we have Sally Schaefer. Sally, how you doing? I'm great. How are you all doing? We're, we're hanging in there, gang. Doing, doing better now. Yeah. We're doing better now. Yeah, doing better. You know, it's funny. We, um, we've talked a lot about music in, in different ways on this program. We even talked to a promoter on the show before. But this is our actual first honest-to-goodness musician interview. So I'm pretty excited to talk to somebody who's like an actual honest-to-goodness musician. Right. I, I'm, I'm used to talking to people who are more talented than I am. But this time it's like in like, a, like an economically feasible way they're more talented than I am. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Like a lot of the people that we have on here, are like super smart, or like write like like crazy papers. This person will make you dance, right? And and you know make you have a good time, mm-hmm. which is way more valuable to me than uh, reading you know a paper. Right. Yeah. Take that, eggheads. Take that, nerds. <laughs> so Sally, you are uh, again. I said like an extremely talented musician of of many different disciplines, but but uh, the bluegrass thing. Talk to us, our listeners, who introduce, can you introduce like bluegrass? Because I know a lot of people are going to hear that and think like country or oh brother, where art thou? Like give us the lowdown on um, on bluegrass. So it's probably best or most succinctly described as a mix between old time and country music and also blues and jazz music. Um so, you know, people were emigrating from the British Isles and Ireland coming over to the eastern part of the United States, and those ballads and songs and tunes that were coming from those areas of Europe and into the U.S. kind of mixed with, uh, or turned into like this mountain music in those areas, you know, in the Appalachian areas of the United States and West Virginia, Virginia, and then moving over into Kentucky and Tennessee. And so those styles of music moved out of the mountains and also um, and were being played for, you know, square dances and other types of folk dancing and things like that with uh, what you would think of as traditional old-time instruments, fiddle, maybe mandolin, um, guitar, banjo. And then that, that music, which is mostly just used for dancing primarily, uh, was also starting to become influenced by music that was on the radio at that time, which would be country, blues, maybe some jazz. And all of those styles sort of came together when Bill Monroe, who is uh, known as the father of bluegrass, started his couple of bands. He grew up in Kentucky in a very musical family. Everybody in his family played an instrument. His older brothers played fiddle, so he started on mandolin when he was young. And he played in family bands for dances and things like that. And then eventually he had his own band um, with one of his brothers called the Monroe Brothers. And then he started, he kind of started doing his own thing uh, with some other musicians and he recorded in Nashville. And they didn't really have a particular sound yet. He just kind of had a bunch of folk instruments together. and um, But they were influenced by other things that were going on at that time, other types of music. And eventually they kind of found their own sound. 
And uh, the instruments that they had are what we would typically think of as bluegrass instruments now. So fiddle, mandolin, upright bass, guitar, and banjo. But originally they didn't they didn't have what we now associate with the real bluegrass banjo sound, which is that three finger style. It wasn't until a later iteration of the band when Lester Flat, guitarist, and Earl Scruggs, banjo player, came into the band that that really became one of the main elements of what we associate with bluegrass now, and that's the three finger banjo picking style, the Scrugg style banjo. Before that, um, there were some people that played three finger style. Scruggs learned it from somebody. He kind of picked it up from somebody and then made it into his own technique. But a lot of people played what is called claw hammer style banjo, and that's where you strike the melody note with your thumb and then downstrike the rest of the notes with the the tips of your fingers, back of your fingers. And that was more of like the mountain old time style of playing. So the three finger style was kind of not as well known and he sort of crafted that style and it became well known through Bill Monroe's band, Bill Monroe and the Bluegrass Boys. Um, so obviously there's a lot of different influences. It's not all just one thing, old time, country, even some, you know, maybe like Celtic influence coming over through the United States, through Appalachia, old time music and country and blues and jazz and the blues and jazz part of it comes in first of all in the blues scale there's a lot of bluesy sort of notes that get used in bluegrass music and these modal tunes and things like that and it's not always a major or minor tune but also the improvisation that is really central to bluegrass uh, if you go see a bluegrass band you'll see pretty much every instrument will take a solo at some point during a song and they're always like, you know, the more virtuosic you can be, the better in some of the faster tunes. That's a huge element of bluegrass music. And the other thing that's, uh, I would say, is a big characteristic of bluegrass music is that high tenor vocal style. And the tenor is oftentimes the lead vocal, which is not always the case for other types of music. You know, maybe a baritone is more of the lead vocal, but in bluegrass, there's always this high tenor part that they call it the high lonesome sound. And uh, Bill Monroe had that sound and that has carried through most bluegrass through today. So yeah, I think a good way to summarize is that it's country, old time, mixed with blues and jazz, but um, yeah, the main instruments that you're gonna see are fiddle, mandolin, upright bass, guitar, and banjo, and then also dobro was added a little bit later. So you'll see dobro too. And we have all of those instruments at Bluegrass All-Stars. Um, and you're gonna see three finger style banjo picking. And a lot of songs are real fast. There's often a lot of harmony singing going on, some two, three, four part harmony. And there's almost always gonna be a high tenor line. Um, and lots of improvisation, improv solos, fast solos, uh, blues scale, modal scales. And uh, there are, I mean, there are slower ballad songs too. And a lot of those are in those modal kind of tonalities. And um, there's also gospel music that, you know, gospel kind of influenced bluegrass. And that you'll see some bands will just 
some festivals have a Sunday that is dedicated just to gospel music, bluegrass gospel music. So that's a big part of the tradition too. Um, but, you know, there's been a, even since Bill Monroe started kind of the bluegrass tradition, I mean, bluegrass is, the term bluegrass is named after his band, Bill Monroe and the Bluegrass Boys. That term was coined later after his band already existed. But um, since then, you know, there's been other kinds of styles that have been incorporated into bluegrass music too. Tony Rice is a guitarist and he has kind of more of a jazz background. So he's incorporated a little bit more jazz into his bluegrass music and other people have been influenced by that. Punch Brothers are a modern bluegrass band. They started, well, Chris Thiele is a great mandolinist and he's been in uh, a couple bands. Nickel Creek is one of them that I really liked. They were kind of more folky, but a little bluegrassy sometimes too. And now he's got his band Punch Brothers, and they're very vir- virtuosic. Sometimes they're kind of like avant-garde. They do kind of like this weird stuff that I wouldn't necessarily associate with bluegrass, except that they're playing bluegrass instruments, and some of it's real fast and is improvised solos and things like that. Um, and now you see like the jamgrass scene. There's kind of jam bands that have incorporated bluegrass elements into their playing. So. Uh, bluegrass can be a lot of different things, but I'd say the main differences from country or folk or anything is at least some of the songs are going to be like ripping fast with real virtuosic solos and uh, lots of vocal harmony and uh, those, those specific instruments that I mentioned. So yeah, and no drums. There's never drums. If you see drums, uh, either it's some kind of new grass band that most bluegrassers probably don't approve of if they're older because usually traditionally in bluegrass the bass is really the only that's the main rhythm instrument and then the guitar also might play on the off beats and the mandolin and the fiddle kind of hold that backbeat down um, there's no drums so that's usually more of a country thing so with the all-stars like I mentioned we have all of those traditional bluegrass instruments We have Mark Panfill on banjo, dobro, harmonica, and sometimes if it's close to St. Patrick's Day, he might bring out the accordion. We have Doug Yeomans on guitar, acoustic guitar, and my dad, Rich Schaefer, on upright bass and also telling jokes in between songs. And then I play mostly fiddle, but I do bring the mandolin out sometimes. And uh, sometimes you might see a different iteration of the band because we do have people that sub in with us. Um, Mark's brother, Chris, plays fiddle, mandolin, and guitar with the band, and uh, Phil Bandesik plays fiddle and mandolin also, and they both play with Creek Bend regularly, and sometimes they play with All-Stars. Um, and we try to play a range of bluegrass music, so we'll play some early stuff from Bill Monroe and other traditional, really like original bluegrass bands from that era, 1940s and 50s. Then we'll also play stuff from some of the folk revival era of bluegrass music, 60s and 70s. And that would be bands like Doyle Lawson and Quicksilver and Hot Rise. And we'll play bluegrass artists that have influences from outside genres. Like I mentioned, Tony Rice, who has more of a jazz background. We'll do some Tony Rice music. And um, some bluegrass songs that maybe have other outside influences like more old time or country 
or swing even, but we might do it in more of a bluegrass style. And I'm trying to bring some more modern bluegrass songs into the mix because I like a couple of modern bluegrass bands like Trampled by Turtles. Their their fiddler is great. I really like him. Um, Punch Brothers is great. And Billy Strings, who kind of comes from the jamgrass scene, but he's also very good at doing traditional bluegrass stuff. He just won a Grammy for Best Bluegrass Album of the Year, so we're trying to work some of his songs into the mix also. And we do have original music. Mark and Doug write a lot of original songs and tunes, and my dad has an original, and I don't yet, but maybe I'll write uh, some original fiddle tunes and we can work those in too. So we try to do a mix of things that will appeal to a wide audience. That's pretty badass, and I could tell you're definitely a student of the genre. Um, What drew you into bluegrass like what what got you to being like because it i guess to me and again pardon my extreme ignorance here but it seems like you know if, if i had to guess I, I would think it might be like an older person genre am i just extremely ignorant of like who plays bluegrass music in 2021 no that's uh well i think that's who listens to a lot of bluegrass music in 2021 there are some young people that play it now but i think I mean, if you went to Sportsman's to see Bluegrass All-Stars play on a Thursday, the crowd is uh, probably mostly over 60. Uh, I think my mom came in one time and I was like, who is that young woman that just walked in? Like, I didn't <laughs> I didn't realize it would like, but, you know, because most of the crowd is pretty like gray haired and older. Um, but I got into it because my dad has been in a bluegrass band called Creek Bend, which is a Western New York bluegrass staple since 1978. And um, your listeners won't be able to see this, but I have some of their merchandise here. This is an original Creek Bend fly swatter. Wow, <laughs> that thing rules! Um, in the shape so of a guitar, awesome. and it and it has you know bluegrass since 1978 as the tagline on there. Oh, I love it. And so yeah, they've been around a long time, and I actually just called him to talk to him about the history of the band because I've asked him about it before, but it's just like. They've been around for 40 years and the lineup changed so many times, but he is the only original member since then. Hmm. Um, so he, but I mean, some of the other guys, actually everybody else that plays in bluegrass all-stars is, or has been in the, in the band at some point in Creek Bend. So I grew up listening to them playing. I went to bluegrass festivals with them. The main one that I remember that my sisters and our whole family would go to is, uh, the Fox Family Bluegrass Festival, which was in the Adirondack Mountains near Old Forge. And you could camp there. It, it was really fun. I mean, just think of being like a little kid running around to like this fast, like crazy bluegrass music at the foot of a mountain. And awesome. yeah, mm-hmm. so I grew up with it. And um, my older sister, Mary, she already had, you know, she picked violin as her school instrument in fourth grade. And uh, we all had piano background, so I was already taking piano. And I also picked violin. And my dad kind of, like, pushed me into, you know, he'd bribe me to, like, learn fiddle tunes and play them with the band. <laughs> he'd be like, I'll give you $10 if you, you like, come up on stage and play, like, a, a tune with us. And then also work the merch booth. So. <laughs> <laughs> Selling fly swatters. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so it works. And, um that, I mean, that's like initially how I got into it. But then in college, I kind of started studying more Americana and Celtic um, songs and fiddling 
through one of my my ethnomusicology professor there, Jim Kimball. He's like a well-known music and folklorist person in the area. So, and then I kind of just came back to it now that I've moved back to Western New York and now here I am playing with the band. So there's a distinction between playing fiddle and playing violin, right? So I get this question a lot and uh, the ethnomusicology answer (laughs) is that fiddle is really a class of instrument. So it really it encompasses like all bowed string instruments. Mm-hmm. Like there's there's a Chinese fiddle which has like, I mean it has a Chinese name, um, Urhu, and the, there's all like different ty- types of fiddles in different cultures. And violin is just one specific type of fiddle. You know, one that was made in the 17th century in Italy. And that, but that style has just persisted for a long time for whatever reason. I don't know. Got picked up by classical musicians. But well, yes, when people are asking about it colloquially, really, it's just like they're asking about a difference in style between playing like more classical style violin and folky style fiddling. Right, right, because Pashabel didn't write too much for the uh, the bluegrass genre. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Although you know, a lot of uh, a lot of classical composers did incorporate folk music into their compositions. Really? Yeah. Um, trying to think. Well, uh, Copland, who's like a big yeah. American orchestral composer, he's used like Irish sort of Appalachian cross cross the pond kind of tunes that that's maybe started in the British Isles and then came over here. He's used that in some of his compositions. I think McLeod's Reel, which I think of as an Irish tune, but probably is also in the Appalachian tradition. That's like very prominent in one of his compositions. And um, like people like Bartok, they used Eastern European folk melodies. Tchaikovsky used Russian folk melodies. So there's a lot of that going on. That's fascinating. Uh, that's really cool. There's, there, there seems to be a lot of like blending of, of different musical styles. Like even you're talking about the history of bluegrass, there just seems to be just an amalgamation all the time. Now, are, are you, the music that you play, like I, I, I know you have a very diverse background musically. Like what are, are, are you, are you sticking solely to bluegrass these days? Or are you doing like other, like branching out into other musical genres? Well, like I kind of said, actually, one of my main backgrounds is in Celtic music, especially Irish, but then also for my master's degree, I studied Welsh music in uh, Cardiff, Wales. And unfortunately, there's not a whole lot of Welsh music going on here, so I really don't get an opportunity to play it that much. But I do play with some Irish bands. I've played with, a, I call them an Irish pub style band because they do a lot of those like sing-along Irish drinking songs and those... Um, you know, like ones that are kind of more like Irish American. Maybe they were like written by people here, but like Irish immigrants. And that band is called Finnegan's Punch. And I've been playing with them for, I don't know, since I was in college, maybe like seven years or something. And uh, we play mostly around St. Patrick's Day, but I also play with an Irish rock, Celtic rock, alt rock band called McCarthyism. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They've been around a long time. And um, I just started playing with them a couple months ago. And that's really cool because they're working on new music all the time. And, 
you know, not so, a lot of it is Celtic, but some of it's not. They kind of have their own thing going on. So that's that's really fun. And my other big band is Over and Out, which is totally different. It's a indie folk punk band. I do play fiddle in it, but all the pretty much all the other guys in it are from like a punk background. They've been in the punk scene in Buffalo for a while, and um, the keyboard player's been in like the prog scene. So just kind of a mix of we're not too heavy, but it's a five piece band with full drum kit, bass, electric bass, acoustic guitar, keys, and then fiddle. So kind of mix of genres there. I am fascinated that you can keep all that straight yeah, in your you're, head. You're busy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I forgot, I should mention Celtic Spirit Pipe Band. I started playing with a Scottish Pipe and Drum Band a couple of years ago because I saw them at uh, Niagara Celtic Festival. And I was like, this band is awesome. They do some like military, you know, like traditional pipe and drum stuff. But they also have guitar and bass and keyboard and flute. And they, they add all this other stuff. And they did like Game of Thrones. And I was like, oh, I have to join this band. <laughs> so I play with them. Uh, they, they mostly play over the summer, like big festivals and stuff. So I have that going on too. Wow. That's, it's like you didn't have enough on your plate. I need, I need another uh, <laughs> Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones band. Yeah. 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 Right. I mean, <laughs> that's, that's sick. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I, I, I know we're still in COVID time, so I don't want to say like, what was it like during the pandemic? Cause I guess we're still there, but musicians clearly were, were hurting and it was a weird time for everybody. I know stuff is opening up now. Um, just, just real quick, Sally, like what, I mean, what did you do to keep engaged or did you play, uh, gigs, you know, over zoom or tell us a little bit about that. Like, what was it like for you as a musician during, during COVID? Well, one of the first things that I did is uh, one of my friends just through like indie music scene in Buffalo, she was going to start hosting a virtual open mic with some people that she knew because she, she, her name's Christina Stock. She oh, usually, I know, I know her. She's oh, you awesome. Do. Yeah. She went, <laughs> yeah. I went to time and she went to mercy. I've known, God, I've known her for years. <laughs> well, she hosts, uh, I think it's, it's a weekly open mic at Daily Planet like in, you know, normal times. And then someone who I didn't know, but I met through this open mic night hosts or usually hosts an open mic at gypsy parlor. His name is Devin Mullen. And so they like, we're kind of going to join forces to do this virtual open mic that they would trade on and off hosting. And I wasn't really going to do it. Cause I don't, I, I mean, mostly I just play fiddle in other people's bands or like sing in other people's bands, but I don't really do solo stuff that much. And I was like, I don't know, like, I'd have to prepare material and I'm just not sure. And then she was like, Sally, I'm the only girl who signed up. So of course she got me on like the feminist, like musician. <laughs> yeah, yeah, front. Yeah. And I was like, okay, fine. So, um, I signed up and that I was just doing, I mean, it's still ongoing, although they've kind of scaled it back a little bit now that things are reopening, but that was going on weekly for the whole pandemic. And that's kind of all I had for a while to, wow. I, I talked to a lot of musicians who were just like, I don't have any motivation because I don't have any projects or shows coming up. So like, what's the point of, I don't have anything to practice for. And I was like, yeah, that's why I'm, it's, it's good for me to be doing, doing this open mic. Even if I never perform these songs out, it's just nice to be able to present them to like a small group of people. They were doing it over zoom. So I had that. And then, uh, a friend of mine from college, (laughs) he was, 
I think, I don't know what his main degree was in, or maybe it was in dance. He was a dance student there. And he's doing his MFA now, also in dance. And he asked me to compose a ballet score for him. So I was working on that, which is still kind of in production right now. And a bunch of people also asked me to record violin remotely on different things. So just a, um, a lot of different home recording projects that I was doing for people. I also recorded at Select Sound for um, a couple of different projects. I know Andrew Cothan is um, one of the engineers there. So It's just right around the corner from our studio here. Yes, they're yeah. awesome. I, I love them. They're a great studio. Yeah. Badass. Are there, are there a lot of, like... Cause it, it sounds like everybody's like, Hey Sally, uh, you want to, you want to record with us? Are there, are there, are there like, like, are you not, not to denigrate any other violin players, but it sounds like, like you are the one they're like, Oh yeah. Yeah. No, Sally regularly shits on other violin players. <laughs> <laughs> I would never, um, actually there's like, I, I do know several violinists fiddlers in Buffalo and, they're all, I mean, there are so many very, very good fiddlers, violinists, just musicians in general in Buffalo. And I think the only reason that I get asked to do some of these is because networking and also maybe just like the style that I'm writing. I mean, how many like punk fiddlers exist anywhere in the world, but also here. Yeah. So I think maybe it's something about the style. I mean, I, I'm classically trained, but I'd say I've kind of... I played in orchestras. I even played in Orchard Park Symphony for a while after college. But um, I don't do as much classical stuff anymore. I'm definitely more on the folky side and also writing some some stuff for, like, Indian punk. I've even recorded for a metal band before at Watchmen. And I think it's just that I know people in those scenes, and they might also just, like, the writing style and maybe the playing style a little bit because yeah i mean i can think of a lot of fiddle player you know there's a lot of people in the irish and even bluegrass and all the folk scenes that are great not to mention like people that play classical and bpo musicians and all that you mentioned that uh obviously you play in a lot of like celtic bands and at like uh saint patrick's day events i mean i certainly have a great time going to those sorts of things, being completely shit-faced out of my mind. What's it like <laughs> being a musician doing that? I mean, are you feeding off the energy of the crowd, or are you like, oh my god, these drunk assholes, like, I can't <laughs> I can't deal with it? Well, it depends. There's, yeah, there can be kind of both of those things. So, I'd say the, because I just started playing with McCarthyism, normally they do that big, like, Live at Olarkin thing and that's like huge but i that didn't happen this year so i haven't done that with them yet so the biggest shows that i've played have been with my uh longtime irish band finnegan's punch and we have been doing the the after party of the first ward parade at sparrow factory so that, that one's pretty big but it's not as drunk as the downtown one which we haven't played yet we were scheduled to play somewhere but it was like it was going to be like kind of a fancy event. I think it was like $50 tickets. So I was like, ooh, that'll keep the riffraff out. 
So maybe I won't have That's to. That's me. I'm the riffraff, yeah. by the way. Yeah, right, yeah. We're all, we're all, all three of us are riffraff. Yeah. Yeah. Not, right. not that we wouldn't pay money to see you. It's just that right. we're the riffraff. Right. Right. But between yeah. the three of us, we could get one $50 ticket, and we'd have to like take shifts <laughs> oh, going in yeah. to see it. That that yeah. that 70s show with the Packers game where they like <laughs> take two tickets out and bring another person in. Yeah, uh-huh. I know it. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Barrel Factory was fine the times that we played there, and... I mean, sometimes you get a person that requests, like, the free bird of fiddle music, which is Devil Went Down to Georgia. <laughs> and, and first of all, we're, like, we're an Irish band, so... I would have thought... And also, it's just, it's a hard, it's kind of a hard song to put together. I mean, it's long, it's got all these, like, different parts in it, so, yeah, I mean... I would have no. thought that would have been Wagon Wheel. Um... I don't know. People do not... Like, we do actually play that song, yeah, so if yeah. someone requested it... I think we had requests for like Ed Sheeran because he has he has a song called Galway Girl that is a different song. But, you know, you sometimes get a little heckled, but um, not too. I mean, people are mostly just in good spirits. I I think they're just happy to hear like Irish music with a real fiddle. And we have a penny whistle player. So. So. So, Sally, so if the devil came up to Western New York and offered you a fiddle of gold for your soul. You wouldn't take that bet? Well, I would up it to maybe like a carbon composite one. Right, I think I was, gold, that's one of the things I think pretty bad. I think that's one of the things I think about when I hear that song. I was like, gold price sounds like shit. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I think it wouldn't sound great. There, unless it, maybe if it was like a solid gold and it was just electric, but an acoustic, no, I don't think that would work too well. So. I don't think I'd sell my soul for that. That's why Maybe, he's the devil. Like, he's giving you bad deals. Right. right. Yeah. 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 It's a bad deal. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's bad deal, folks. <laughs> right. He's just like Circuit City. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and just just for the listener, by the way, just as an aside, we're talking about the uh, the Ward Parade. It's clearly the more superior parade to Absolutely. the Downtown Parade. Downtown Parade is trash. That's that's common knowledge. It, well, it's not common knowledge though. No. I, I don't think well, it, among us uh, among uh, among us because me because I tell you but <laughs> but everybody else like you're your uh, first ward parade proselytizer yes I yeah. am I spread the good news the ward parade you know it's we could do a whole episode on 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 all my experiences with the other parade it's it's terrible yeah the, the the other parade like I'm the the main thing I remember last time I was at the other parade is I was working for child protection at the time. And I was at my friend's apartment who lived at the corner of Delaware and Allen. Yep. So just, you know, like above like Coulter Bay. It's like the epicenter. So, I mean, yeah, just yeah. like a perfect location. Yeah. And they had the corner apartment. So they had the corner window. And also I'm sitting there and I'm like enjoying the parade, enjoying the fact that like I don't have to be out. Like I can watch the parade without having to be with all the drunks. I could be with like this like self-enclosed party at like the prime location. And I hear somebody go, hey, is anybody watching that child who's sitting on top of the garbage can? Oh, and no. as as a mandated reporter, I said, I am now. Oh, no. <laughs> Oh, Abandoned children. Abandoned children. The downtown at, parade. At the downtown pl- parade. Not a place for kids. No. No. <sighs> not not a place for children. Um, yeah, Sally, so tell us, like, what stuff is opening up, as I've said, as everybody knows. It's still weird to think about that it's happening, but, baby, it's happening. So, where are you playing? Like, what, we got any gigs coming up um, with one any of your various bands that you're trying to get oh, out there? yeah. We we got a bunch of gigs coming. I have to like open my calendar to make sure I don't. All right, so bluegrass, Buffalo bluegrass all stars 
plays every first and third Thursday of the month at noon. It's a free lunchtime show from noon to 2 p.m. at Sportsman's Tavern. And that happens every single month, first and third Thursday. And then um, McCarthyism, the Irish and alt-rock band, we play the first Thursday of the month at Sportsman's also. So I'm there twice the first Thursday. (laughs) have an afternoon show and an evening show. Um, And that's like 7 to 10 p.m. at Sportsman's. And then my punk kind of band, Over and Out, uh, we are playing our first full band show because we... We've done a couple like duo live streams with either me and the guitar player or the keyboard player and the guitar player. We had a couple or, you know, he just did some solo over the pandemic. And then recently, guitar player and I did a duo like acoustic show at Milky's. But we're having our first full band show with all five people on June 4th at Upstairs Good Bar with The Missing Worker, which is kind of a prog band. Yeah, they're they're pretty sweet. Yeah. Can um. Is there a band you might, I, I know maybe you hate when people do this. I'm sorry that I'm doing it, but just for our listeners who aren't familiar with your music. Um, oh, okay. Like, yeah. if, like a, like an analog band. Like if you like blank, you'll like us with over and well, out. Super tramp. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember fiddle and super tramp. You know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's on the B side. You weren't uh, listening close <laughs> enough, Ryan. <laughs> yeah. um, people. Well, I, I like to call it grim folk music. That's kind of what we labeled it. But for regular people, we say indie folk punk. And uh, a lot of people would relate Rob, the guitar player's writing, to Connor Oberst, like Bright Eyes kind of okay. stuff. Okay. So it's a little like, could be, it's just sad. A lot of it's like depressing, but um, <laughs> the actual lyrical content. But, you know, it it's upbeat with the drums and everything. So we've also been compared to Flogging Molly. I really think that's just probably because of the my fiddle style but the drums also so those are probably the big two some mishmash of those two things of connor oberst and flogging molly mm-hmm. yes i i think i saw that show at, at edge fest once <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty good i saw flogging molly at i think i've seen them a couple of times actually at when they had thursday at the square and then now canal side mm-hmm. and they were great both times it's a good job that's awesome. I, some of my favorite bands, like to me, the mark of a good band is like they could play like really depressing ass sounding music, but when they play it live, it's just like oh, you're yeah. like rocking the fuck out. Oh, like mm-hmm. that's that's how you know they know how to work a crowd because they're like, yeah, all right, I'm gonna sit in my room by myself and be really depressed and write this. But when I'm out with you, we're gonna get you moving. That's that's exactly how it is. That's how it was when I saw Connor Oberst at Bayville until he got too drunk. Until to he got the too stage. drunk to play, and then he had to leave. Oh no! <laughs> the that was the, that yeah. was the uh, the infamous Phoebe Bridger show. That's right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Sufjan Stevens when he came to Buffalo a few years back, same thing. He just was like depressing ass album about his you know mom dying, and then it's yeah. like the whole crowd is rocking because he's good. Yeah. But I'm excited to uh, uh, maybe I'll check that out. Sal. That I'll throw the awesome. Decemberists in there too. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah. good for that. Yeah. But yes. you, you said, when is that show at... Um, uh, June 4th. Good, June 4th at Good June, Bar. June 4th, yes. Cool. Up, upstairs, Good Bar. Upstairs, Good Bar. Yep, Upstairs, cool. Good Bar, which is which is a great location. Oh, I love it. I, I, I went there for a, a New Year's Eve party one time. Oh. That was... I, that's about as much as I remember it. But I, 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 I showed up for Upstairs, Good Bar for a New Year's Eve party, and then the rest of it's kind of hazy. <laughs> It's a good party. Cool. All right. 
Oh, go ahead, Sarah. I'm sorry. Oh, I was just going to say I was downstairs at Good Bar for New Year's. Uh, whenever the last time we were allowed to be out was two years ago, I guess. Yeah. That was pretty good. I remember the whole night. Um, there were balloons. It was fun. Uh, it wasn't <laughs> right. that good if you remember the whole night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> um, and now, do the uh, the Bluegrass All Stars have anything coming up? Oh yeah, that's the so that's the first and third Thursday. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. At Sports. Yeah. Band? Well, we. So I, I don't think I explained this, but like Bluegrass All-Stars kind of just formed out of my dad's band, Creek Bend, because I think Dwayne Hall, the, you know, Dwayne and Denise Hall are the owners of Sportsman's, which has been around since the 80s. They're like a legendary Americana venue that a lot of big Americana bands tour to. And then, uh, of course, they have a lot of local people play there also. But I think Dwayne kind of just asked... Creek Bend, if they could put on a lunchtime thing there, but one of the members is not retired yet. He's still a teacher, so he was not available. So they kind of just like developed Bluegrass All Stars to be the thing so that people wouldn't like assume all of the members, you know, it's now interchangeable. Like they could have anybody sub in. Bluegrass All Stars is like, uh, it it changes, the lineup changes all the time. It could be anything. You never know what you're going to get. Although the regular lineup right now is my dad, Rich Schaefer. Me and Doug Yeomans on guitar, who he's a great local guitarist. He plays mm-hmm. in a lot of different things, country as well. And Mark Panfill, who is a multi-instrumentalist. He plays everything, banjo, dobro, harmonica, accordion. So um, that it's pretty much just been like a sportsman's band for those lunchtime shows. But we are booking a couple things over the summer. And one of them is at Knox Farm in East Aurora on July 16th. Nice. So that's like cool. that's like a regular evening show instead of a lunchtime one. If people what, are working during those. What about Creek Bend? Do you know what's going on with Creek Bend? Do they have anything planned this summer? Creek Bend has so many things over the summer, and I they're playing the Perry Chalk Fest, which is Perry, New York, around the corner from my undergraduate school, Geneseo, mm-hmm. and it's cool. It's like it's a nice little event. They have like vendors and stuff and food. And then they have like people who are really good at chalk drawing do a bunch of competition pieces there. That's July 10th. Wait, and, wait, wait. Uh, what? They, they, it's like a chalk drawing competition? Yeah. Yes. I've never heard of this in my life. Yeah. yeah. The Perry it's, Chalk Fest? Yep. Perry Chalk Fest. Right by Electric State Park if you want to go for a hike after. Yeah. Make a weekend out of it. No shit. Or maybe, you know, Perry Chalk Fest probably has a beer tent. So maybe go for the hike first. <laughs> 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 All right. Yeah. Good point. Yeah, exactly. Um, trying to see. Yeah, they have. I mean, they have shows around there. Uh, the Eden Concert Series, which my dad, of course, books. I think they're playing one show there. McCarthyism is also playing there at some point in August. So, yeah, there's a lot of things coming up. You guys got a pretty. You you have to have like this has to go from being like because I mean it just in my personal life I went from like okay, I'm at home doing nothing to now it's like, oh my God, I want to do everything all the time. I can only imagine what that's like as a musician. Yeah, it's nice because I I mean, I like getting out of the house, especially with the weather getting better now too. I like, I'm pretty okay with being stuck inside in the winter, so I never have to like scrape off my car or trudge through snow, but a lot of these shows are outdoors or they're just in like nice venues, so it's great to be able to get out again. And Sally, really quick, where can we find you on the internet or find um, 
any of your bands? Yeah, creekbend.gov. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, there is a buffalobluegrass.com website that Mark Panfill, one of the guys in All Stars, maintains. Used to be a bluegrass hotline that you could call. Oh, no. 716-555-EARL, as in Earl Scruggs. <laughs> wow, no. Oh, That's awesome. All right. Yes, um, you could call that. It would give you like a list of dates that like various, just any like bluegrass things were happening around Western New York. But um, that's discontinued because like the internet is a little more prevalent now. But um, there's stuff on there for just bluegrass in general. But yeah, on Facebook, we have a Buffalo Bluegrass All-Stars page that has all of our events coming up and just, you know, random other stuff that we share, bluegrass happenings. Um, Celtic Spirit Pipe Band has a Facebook page. McCarthyism has a Facebook page. Finnegan's Punch has one, and Over and Out has one. So all of them are available on Facebook. Over and Out has an Instagram, but I'm pretty bad at maintaining it. So, um, <laughs> oh, are you the insta- <laughs> are you the designated Instagrammer for the band? I mean, we kind of do all do it, but I deleted Instagram off of my phone, and you can't. Yeah, I think you can't like edit Instagram and without having the mobile app, unless you have like a what is it like a. It's like a, a social media license that does like everything, so which you have to pay for. So really, I just use Facebook for everything. It's cheap and it's easy. I deleted Instagram off my phone too. I, I hate it. <laughs> it's it's not good. Um, do you do you have like personal social media you want to put out there? You just want to put out the band stuff? Oh yes, um, I have just my own music page. That's Saliandra Music on Facebook, and I also have a SoundCloud. That is soundcloud.com slash Saliandra. And um, I didn't mention that McCarthyism and Over and Out both have stuff on Spotify. Over and Out has stuff on Bandcamp, Apple Music, whatever, like all streaming platforms. So, um, yeah, you can find any of that stuff online, too, if you want to listen to us. Cool, cool. Well, Sally, thanks again. Uh, very happy to have you. We'll, we'll post some links. And our, I'll, let, I'll let our designated social media manager do that. Snake, and, uh, Snake's got this. Snake's yeah. got it. And uh, <laughs> thanks, yeah. Roy Boy. I'm I'm Roy Boy. Uh, no, thank you, Sally, again. And uh, yeah, can't wait to catch you this summer. Yep. Thank you.